We're at the start of a new church year and all that comes with that. So new connect groups uh, and alpha starting next month um, and lots of other exciting things happening, some of which you saw on the video. Uh, you may be here, you may have just started university in Bristol, uh, you may have moved uh, to a new job, uh, or you may be at the start of some new season of life with all the hopes and challenges that can go along with that. Our daughter, uh, we've got three children, our middle child is Lucy, and she started secondary school a couple of weeks ago. Um, and she hadn't got in where we'd applied. In Bristol, you make three choices. She hadn't got any of the three, but she, she got a place at uh, our older son Noah's school, so that was all fine, um, and she started. And then on the afternoon of the first day, we got an email offering us our first choice school. So then we faced the kind of quick and difficult decision, do we move her or not? And in the end, we, we prayed, and uh, Jess probably prayed more than me. Just, that just says something about us. Um, and we took the plunge, and we moved her. And, you know, so it, the last couple of weeks have been a bit of a roller coaster for Lucy, um, but she's done really well. And in the space of three days, um, she started secondary school twice and, you know, adjusting to new friends and all that kind of stuff. Not an ideal start. Don't you find in life things aren't always the way you might have hoped or expected them to be? But we can trust God. Even, uh, you know, even when we make wrong decisions or take wrong turns, he's still the same. He's still faithful and he's faithful to be with us and to help us. And as I said, Lucy's settling in now. And I was reminded, actually, when we moved to Bristol, which was a, another big decision for us five years ago, again, at that point, Lucy didn't have a school place. And uh, her older brother, Noah, started school. And then on the afternoon of, of that first day, we got an email then offering her a place. And so uh, it just goes to show, actually, God does have a sense of humor. He does work in mysterious ways, but we can trust him. As Sam said, we're going to be breaking bread together this morning. And you may have noticed there are tables already set up in the side aisle. And before the summer, Andy, who you saw on the video, who leads the church, spoke about communion and how during this year it would become a more regular feature when we gather together. And we're going to be doing that as part of our weekly services now. Uh, breaking bread uh, or communion can be referred to as breaking bread um, or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, depending on your church experience. Eucharist just means like giving thanks. Um, and this morning, I want to help us understand the power of it. And I want us to look at an encounter that two of the disciples had with Jesus after the resurrection in Luke chapter 24. For them, things hadn't gone quite how they expected. And they'd been following Jesus 
but he'd been arrested and crucified. Then they'd heard strange and confusing reports that Jesus had been seen alive and well. We're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, if you want to look in your Bible, and also the words are going to appear on the screen behind me. Let's read together. Verse 13 of Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with, wait, sorry, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that already you've been with us by your Holy Spirit this evening. And Lord, we pray, make yourself known to us as we look at your word together. Lord, would you bring it to life by your Holy Spirit? 
And I pray, meet with each one of us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to understand the context here. Jesus has just risen from the dead. It's worth just saying that again. Jesus has just risen from the dead. Those of us who have been Christians for a while can get over-familiar, even blasé with that life-changing fact. But we need to guard against becoming complacent or indifferent. This truth changes everything and shapes our very lives. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything changes. Your perspective is completely different. Your attitudes changed. How you live your life, how you parent, where you put your trust and what you're putting your hope in. These two disciples that we've read about, they didn't yet believe that Jesus had risen. And they were talking as they walked, trying to process what had just happened. Then a stranger appears. We know that it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. What's going on there? It seems that Jesus was recognizable, but they were kept from recognizing him. Just as Jesus did miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in his life, I think it's the Holy Spirit that is concealing his identity from these two disciples. Why is that? Why not just go, da-da, here I am, I'm alive, and make everything better? Why, why wouldn't Jesus do that? I think Jesus wants them to come to their own faith and understanding. And normally, as people, we see what we expect to see, don't we? We expect to see Manchester City beat Watford 8-0. It's just what you expect. And the last person they're expecting to see is Jesus. Do you know the part in The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf has disappeared in the mines of Moria? If you, if you hate all that stuff, then just have, have a 60-second have a nap. Okay, but uh, for those of you that love Lord of the Rings... You know that bit where Gandalf disappears and he says, fly, you fools. Yes? I haven't got my grey wig. And, and, and he drops. And, and that, but it's, it's awful, isn't it? If, you, if you've seen the film or read, well, seen the film, Frodo is like, it, he's crying. And it's like they don't know what to do. He's their leader. They love him. He's the one that knows what to do. And he's gone. And it's, it's absolutely awful. And it's almost like they can't go on without him. And then he reappears to some of them. I think it's, um, we've got a picture here, Legolas, uh, Gimli, and Aragorn. And they think it's Saruman, the white wizard, because that's who they fear or who they expect to see. And then... They recognize their dear friend, Gandalf. And it's so much sweeter because of the loss. They thought they'd lost him, but now 
he's back. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was a Christian. I'm sure he had Jesus in mind when he wrote uh, this part of Gandalf's story. So he's recognizable, but somehow different and more glorious. At the tomb, when Mary went to look for Jesus, initially, even she didn't recognize him. I think that's what's happening with these disciples. So for the time being, he remains unknown to them. And then in verse 17, this mysterious traveler, who we know is Jesus, says, what are you talking about? They just stand there looking sad. They're in the depths of grief. They've lost the one who they put all their hope and trust in. I went to a funeral on Thursday. Some funerals can be a great celebration, can't they? But for, for the ones who have lost someone really close to them, grief pretty much eclipses everything else, doesn't it? The, for those people, they're not worried about Brexit or a Supreme Court judgment on whether it's legal to suspend Parliament or not. Then they're, they're not worried about that. They are, they're overwhelmed by grief and loss. They're just struggling to come to terms with what's happened. Their hopes are dashed and they're numb with shock. And these disciples are overwhelmed with grief and disappointment. And when you've got the highest hopes, then when they're, when they're dashed, that's the worst kind of disappointment, isn't it? Don't you know what's happened? They say to him, what's that, he asks. Jesus is starting from where they're at. That may be important for you today. If you're looking in at Christianity or faith, Jesus doesn't expect you to know a whole load. He comes to where you're at. He walks at your pace. He doesn't rush you, but he will help you to understand so Jesus is eager to hear their interpretation of events. About Jesus of Nazareth, they say. A prophet that we had hoped would redeem Israel. They've been thinking Jesus would set them free from the occupying Romans. But it's all over. He's dead now. And we've heard, we're hearing rumors of him being cited. And it's all very confusing for them. And they don't really know what to believe. Their lack of recognition of who Jesus is mirrors their lack of faith in who he was and their lack of understanding of the scriptures. They just thought Jesus was one of a long line of prophets. And they didn't realize they were actually walking and talking with God himself. Eugene Peterson captures Jesus' blunt response in the message translation, uh, in verse 25. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. 
we've noted what I think was the role of the Spirit in concealing Jesus' identity. We'll come back to that at the end when Jesus is at last revealed to them. Next, I want us to notice the power of the Scriptures. I'd love to know what Jesus said to them on the road, wouldn't you? Did he talk about God providing a sacrifice for Abraham in place of his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22? Do you think he explained the Passover lamb from Exodus 12? Or how uh, Psalm 22, written hundreds of years earlier, had accurately spoken about what Jesus had endured on the cross just three days earlier? Maybe he concluded by showing how God's redemption of Israel would come through the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. How amazing would it have been to be part of that Bible study led by the risen Lord Jesus? This stranger is demonstrating the faith and understanding of God's promises that they so lack. Just let the power of some of those scriptures inspire you. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 18. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Or how about this in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. J.C. Ryle writes this, Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Jesus was the coming prophet greater than Moses whose glorious advent filled the pages of prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. The whole of Scripture points to Jesus for people who struggle with the Old Testament and only want to read the nice bits in the New Testament, the darker parts and the bits that we can struggle with and find unpalatable, they point to the depravity of people and our tendency towards sin. My sin, your sin, the things that I do, the things that I think that are wrong and that God doesn't like, all of this points to those things. It, that's the whole point. And it also points to God's holiness and his hatred for sin, but also his unrivaled love and compassion and kindness towards people, towards us. That's the good news. 
It was all pointing to his true identity. It's as if he's saying to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, don't you see? It's all about me. And surely that is the defining truth about the Christian faith. It really is all about what you believe about Jesus. It's not what kind of church or, you know, what about this or what about that. It's what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he died? Do you believe that he rose? Do you believe he has the power to forgive sin? In verse 28, it says, he acted as if he was going further. Yet again, he doesn't invite himself in. He allows them to take the initiative, just like us. You have to invite him in. He's not going to force himself into your life. He'll show himself to you, but you have to invite him in. That's what faith is. God doesn't do everything for us or always give us the answer straight away. We have to learn to walk with him, to trust him, and to invite him in. So that they they arrive at their destination and Jesus stays with them. Presumably, they sit down to have something to eat. And at the table, Jesus gives thanks and breaks the bread. In that moment, their eyes are opened and the Spirit reveals who this really is. The table and gathering at the table is a recurring theme in Luke's gospel. And it's the place where Jesus often reaches out to people. These two disciples are the first to break bread with the risen Lord Jesus. The the group of disciples had had the Last Supper with him on Thursday, but now on Sunday, these two, and these two only, get the wow of risen Lord Jesus breaking bread with him, doing the thing that he'd commanded them to do. What an incredible moment. Not only had they just had the greatest Bible study in history, I think I'd want to be part of that Connect group, forget about New to City Church with Ben Welshman, Uh, Bible study through the prophets and Moses with Jesus. That would be cool. Now, utter dejection. He's dead. It's all over. It's turned to joy. He's alive. This is the pivot moment of the whole account. A total turnaround. The stranger who'd become their guide through the scriptures is now revealed as Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord, the hope of Israel. And then he vanishes. Now they reflect on what's just happened. Verse 32, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked and opened the scriptures to us? Their perspective has totally changed from a place of ignorance and not knowing to a place of comprehension and understanding. Their eyes are opened. And I think the timing is important. Isn't it interesting that their eyes are opened at the moment when Jesus breaks the bread? He breaks the bread and suddenly they see. Suddenly they know. Just like the feeding of the 5,000 The miracle happens, 
as Jesus breaks the bread, there's only five loaves and two fish, but as he breaks the bread and, they, and the disciples start handing it out, the bread and fish are multiplied. And now in this moment, their eyes are opened to understand who this is. Sacrament is an old-fashioned word that we don't use very much these days, particularly in this kind of church. It describes an action or activity that God uses to bless us. Sacraments are a means of grace, a channel for God's blessing to flow into our lives. Not that we deserve it, but that he's so full of loving kindness. So things like Baptism in water, the preaching of the Bible, the breaking of bread are channels of grace. They're vehicles by which God can pour blessing into our lives that we don't earn or deserve. And I've been helped in my understanding of this by a brilliant book called um, Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. If you haven't read it, I really encourage you. A really helpful book for kind of whatever your background is on the church spectrum, a really, really helpful book. Breaking bread is a way for us to enact and rehearse and remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, taking and eating physical bread and drink helps us to identify with Jesus, and it's a powerful means of blessing in our lives. Doesn't it make perfect sense that Jesus should use two of those things, the truth of the scriptures and the sacrament of breaking bread to reveal himself to his disciples? And isn't it also true that just as the spirit concealed his true identity, now their eyes are opened by God's spirit? Surely it was that same spirit that made their hearts burn. I want us to notice those three things, spirit, scriptures, and sacrament, how they work in concert. Like a great symphony, these three themes flow together, building on and enriching one another. The spirit brings the scriptures to life. The sacrament enacts and remembers the power of the scriptures And we encounter the wonder of God's Spirit as we share bread and drink together. And it's that same Spirit that causes them to hurry back to Jerusalem. Even though it's now evening, they make the seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem in the dark. They haven't got head torches. They probably haven't got, you know, flaming torches. They seem undeterred by the threat of wild animals or bandits on the road. They were so excited. I think they might have broken the four-minute mile before Roger Bannister. Maybe not all seven under four minutes. But, and they find the other disciples in Jerusalem who have some news of their own. They've seen him. It's true. Jesus is alive. Cleopas and his friend explain what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. And later on, Jesus appears again to all of them when they're gathered in that room in Jerusalem. They can hardly believe 
that he's real, but they see his hands and feet with the marks in them. They touch him, and he has something to eat. Then in verse 44 of Luke chapter 24, it says this, or Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's the spirit at work again. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That was today for them. The third day, Sunday, he'd risen. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Through this sacrament, we're declaring the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That he died for sinners like you and me. And we need to keep telling people as we're empowered by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. That's part of the reason why we're going to be doing this every week in our services. It's a very regular opportunity for us to be reminded in word and action of what Jesus did for us and to proclaim the wonder of it. We've heard the word. Now we're going to break bread to remember what Jesus has done for us and celebrate his presence with us. And his spirit is here with us now. Maybe you're here and you need your eyes to be opened. Do you know it's possible for you to be going on your merry way through life and completely miss Jesus? You can be a disciple. You can call yourself a Christian. You can be coming to church every week. You can be in a connect group. You could be serving. You might be a leader. But you could be in a position where you're missing the very object of your faith. Jesus, who has redeemed you, who gave himself for you. You could be walking along and not know that he's with you by his spirit. What a tragedy if we spend ourselves in all these different ways and yet we miss him. It's like going to your favorite restaurant to eat your favorite food and you forget to eat. You're so caught up in the surroundings and the people that you don't actually eat anything. Or how about this? Imagine amassing an amazing library of books and they're all on the shelves and they look they look fantastic. Oh, but you never take any time to read them or enjoy them. James is just, do you need a response moment? All those books beside your bed. Um, that's what it's like. Jesus is inviting you to come and meet with him. Not to satisfy certain uh, standards or religious rules, but to fall in love with him again. To say yes to him. To say yes my priority is to be with you, Jesus, and to let that shape your life. I want to invite you 
to come to the table. Not because there's anything special about these tables or special about the bread or the juice, but because we believe by faith, as we share this food and drink, that we will encounter him afresh by his spirit. When was the last time your heart burned with passion for Jesus? I remember the excitement and joy I felt when I first came to know him. And then there's been many times in my life where I've been so stirred and inspired in my faith. In the way that I've lived my life and the decisions I've made, my whole heart has been for God. But how's my heart today? Do I have that same passion and desire for him? Do you need God's spirit to set your heart on fire today? I do. I believe as you come to him, he will meet with you and reveal himself to you again. So I'm going to invite the band back. And we're going to share bread and juice now. And it will be slightly different maybe to how we've done it before. Um, the band will play quietly. And in a moment, you can move out from your seats and make your way over to one of the tables. There's two tables here, one at the back in the side aisle and one at the front. And you can help yourself to bread and juice. You can do that in whatever way feels natural to you. You may want to just get a cup and some bread and pray quietly on your own. Or you may want to get uh, bread and juice and take it back and pray with someone else nearby you. We can, there's a cup of juice each, um, and there are pieces of gluten-free bread. God is inviting you. If you want to encounter him, if you want to know him more, if you want to put your trust in him, then you come and take bread and juice. As we do that, we're celebrating his body broken for us on the cross, his blood shed for us as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Can we stand together? Let's pray. God, please open my eyes to see you. Jesus, I don't want to miss you in the busyness. Even in the midst of good activity, God, I want to know you. Please open my eyes to see you. I want to know you more. Reveal yourself to me through your word. And as we break bread together, let me encounter you afresh by your spirit. Make yourself known to me. Remind me of your love and your forgiveness. God, I desperately need your mercy for all the ways that I do wrong, all the ways that I fail you. Thank you, Jesus. Your blood covers every single one simply by my faith, simply by trusting you. Jesus, you're the object of our faith. You're the object of our affections. Please draw us close to you today. Come and meet with each one of us as we come to the table to remember and celebrate 
what you've done for us.